Welcome to Sports Across the Board, a podcast covering all aspects of the games people play. Now from Atlanta, here's your host, Gary McKillips. Welcome, everyone. College sports has seen some major changes recently. So-called transfer portals allow student-athletes to move from one school to another without losing a year of eligibility. Then there are rules giving student-athletes a chance to make money from their name, image, and likeness, or the NIL rule. Our guest today, Mike Lewis, will discuss this and other issues as they relate to college athletics. Mike is a professor of marketing at the Guesueta School of Business at Emory University, His work focuses on the intersection of sports analytics and sports marketing. He studies issues ranging from player performance analytics to brand equity in sports. He's also written about NIL and is also an expert in fandom. And we'll find out what that means as we speak to him today. Mike, welcome to Sports Across the Board. Hey, Gary. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to talk about NIL. I guess you might as well just jump in. Maybe you could just kind of give us an overview for those who have heard about it, but maybe don't understand really what's going on. What What is NIL all about? It, it's it's a good question because I think it's, it's something that's still rapidly evolving. Um, f- for me, NIL goes back to the, the Ed O'Bannon case where he was on the, the cover of EA Sports but did not receive – any compensation for being part of a, a major marketing campaign. Uh, fast forward, you know, that that case worked its way through the courts. And a couple of years ago, I believe it was California, introduced some legislation to, uh, and the tone really changed. I mean, you know, th- this always used to be a question of, you know, should the payers players be paid? And now it became something of a, almost an issue of worker exploitation. California introduced legislation which said they're going to open it up. So players, and this gets to the heart of the, the question, players can profit or make income from their own personal branded assets. Um, you know, since then, other states have followed. The NCAA, NCAA has tried to react. And as of July 1st, the world has opened up without any, you know, great rigid rules in place. But it sounds like NIL is, is here as of this moment. Hasn't this evolved somewhat? Several years ago, athletes weren't able to take even a, uh, you know, a cup of coffee from uh, someone, a donor or whoever. Then they seem to have loosened it up a little bit, right? Where they could uh, get a certain stipend each year. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that the evolution has definitely been from something very rigid, very rigid control to piecemeal lessening of restrictions. And in some ways, I think that's one of the the approaches that's gotten the NCAA into trouble, right? That is there any logical consistency to what the rules were? Because if there isn't logical consistency, then there probably isn't going to be legal uh, viability. And again, we find ourselves at this, I, I suspect, kind of a Wild West era in college sports. So does this pertain to all sports now, or is it just the major revenue producing sports? At this point, this is wide open. So the, the, the female softball players through the, the, the revenue generating football and, and basketball teams, it's open. I mean, I think it's a real question as to how it's going to play out. And I don't think anyone I don't think anyone knows where the revenue is going to flow. Is it the NCAA that's uh, the governing body or has Congress gotten involved here? So, so the way this the timetable was working, the, the NCAA had a proposal that they were going to try and 
sort of puts put a new set of rules in place to manage this, to manage the NIL process. This was supposed to be voted on in January of 2021, uh, sort of the last minute, maybe the, the week before the NCAA decided to pull back. I think because they realized that whatever proposal they were going to put out there was going to be difficult to defend and there were going to be legal challenges. And the NCAA then essentially went down the process of hoping that Congress would intervene and do something. But as of the summer of 2021, Congress has it has not found its way to the top of the congressional agendas. So this is strictly a deal between the player and whoever he happens to uh, get as his sponsor. Uh, do, is there an agent involved here? I think there are going to be agents involved. I, I, I think it's an evolving situation is the best way to put it. Some of the legislation has basically that some of the states have said would allow student athletes to have um, agents. Question becomes, when can they obtain these agents? Can we have a highly regarded basketball prospect have an agent in eighth grade? You know, and so I I think, you know, once you start going down the path of saying, well, this is unfair, it's hard to stop that. You know, the, the other thing that well, the other thing that happened was this recent Supreme Court decision where Brett Kavanaugh may actually used the language that the NCAA business model was strange because they were not paying their employees. And so even that language now of these people being employees really complicates the matter. Because if you're an employee, then you can have representation, whether it's a union or an agent. Let's say the local car dealer uh, who happens to be a donor decides to sponsor one of these players. Um, is that going to stand? This is where it gets interesting, right? Because I don't think there's anything out there that prevents NIL essentially from being a means where boosters are going to pay athletes outside of the, outside of sort of the, the standard system that, the the local the local car dealer I think it's almost like the stereotype right that that this is the guy that's going to give ten grand to the top linebacker prospect I don't think there's anything stopping that at this point so that brings us back to the governance uh, rules how how are they going to enforce that well in, it, let me ask you a question how enforce what I mean it, it, because I think at this point it's not clear what there is going to be in what what rules there are to enforce that the the student athletes are you know just as like you and I have the opportunity to go out there and look if if Coca-Cola wanted to do a deal with us we could sign that deal it's going to be the same thing where the student athletes it's, they're wide open so essentially this whole concept of college athletics as we know it is really being kind of blown wide open with this whole ruling I think the key phrase in all this might be the unintended consequences of name, image, and likeness in terms of this is going to take college sports to different kinds of places. And is that better or worse than it was before? Is it a good thing or bad thing? (laughs) Well, you know, and all we can do is speculate. I think we can make arguments that the branding opportunities for athletes are going to be better at the blue blood programs or the elite football programs. And so do we now have a situation where you got a star quarterback, let's say out of high school, and and let's say this is a small town kid in, in Kansas. Does he go to the University of Kansas and try and build that program? Or does he go to Notre Dame? And look, the, the odds are he was probably going to Notre Dame anyways. 
does he go to Notre Dame and suddenly he's got a true nationwide fan base and his Instagram account instantly goes to half a million followers and he is now making a half million dollars a year while he is a student athlete. I, I think we can absolutely imagine that scenario playing out. Um, so I suspect it does change. But but like I said, I, I think those elite athletes who are tending to go to the Notre Dames and the Alabamas and the Georgias already. So I suspect we get some wildness and some craziness. I don't know how much it changes things overall. Uh, you know, as as a fan of – I actually went to the University of Illinois. And so as a fan of a team that's often in the bottom of the Big Ten, I suspect it doesn't work out in our favor. Just one other technical point. Can students kind of band together and uh... – uh, you know, do a group li- licensing type thing? I don't think anyone knows the answer to that. I mean, th- this idea of students banding together almost has two two elements. So you could talk about a marketing partnership. I don't think there's going to be any restrictions on that where, you know, maybe several elite quarterbacks start doing a national advertising campaign. They're, they're working together. Uh, the thing that I, th- one of the things that I think scares and scares might be the wrong word, but the NCAA is well aware of is, does this create a situation where now you're going to have to start to see some type of a union of college athletes? And if we start to go down that path in terms of those types of partnerships, then we could add additional layers to it. Are we going to have one union for all the athletes, including the non-revenue sports, a union just for men's football and men's basketball? I suspect we're going to see movement in that direction, but no idea how it plays out. Speaking of that, what amount of money do you think is going to be involved in this uh, whole NIL thing? I mean, are we talking millions, billions, or does anybody know? I don't think anyone knows. And I, I think it kind of comes back to some of the earlier points about, is this going to be a means for boosters to really start to pay players? So on one level, the question becomes, if the sponsorship money is going to flow to college athletes, what are they going to stop sponsoring? That's that's an interesting question because I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I could make a case that one of the things I think we might see in the world of sports is less sponsorship of events, you know, less, let's say less sponsorship of the Olympics or of Euro 2020 and more sponsorship of the individual athletes. Uh, so we could see shifting around, but, I, but I do suspect that the big play in all this is the external money or maybe the dirty money, the below the table money. Maybe that just becomes the above the board money in terms of what the deals these athletes get. Uh, I think one of the fascinating things is how much of it is going to flow to, how much of it, if any of it is going to flow to the non-revenue sports you're listening to, uh, our guest today, Mike Lewis, who's a marketing professor at Emory university. You're an expert in in fan, I guess, fan psychology and how fans react to things. Tell us a little bit more about your fanalytics, I believe you call it, the study of of fans in all sports. Well, and even beyond sports. And and so one of my one of my core beliefs is that fandom is one of the most powerful forces in the in the world. There are very few arenas in life where a grown-up is willing to take off a shirt shave a head, paint their body, put on a silly hat, and go out and essentially make them 
make a fool out of themselves in a way in front of 20,000 of their friends and whoever's watching on TV, right? So this is such a powerful trait. It goes beyond sports, right? You have fans in entertainment, you have fans in politics. Think about some of the Trump rallies you've seen over the last couple of years. They're almost wearing a uniform of a red hat. You see guys painting Trump letters on their on their chest. And so this is something I, I care about deeply because I think it's a fundamental human trait that really moves the world. Um, and it's a, it's a complicated one to get at that. And I think sports is a great lens for, for looking at some of this stuff where we think about, you know, how fan bases operate that sort of the us versus them mentality, the love, the importance of being sort of the biggest fan within a fan base. So I, I think it's very cool and a lot of fun in terms of sports, but also, a useful lens for understanding the broader world. And how did how did you uh, get involved in this? Uh, you're a marketing professor, basically, right? Yeah. Well, I started out as um, by training. I'm much more of a statistician and an applied math person than anything else. And 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 look, so you know, your audience is probably well aware that the world has been driven by analytics and big data, right? We, we see this. We see this everywhere the big data operations of the political campaigns or of amazon.com. And so o- over time, I realized that I could take some of these modeling techniques or these analytical techniques that we were applying to consumers, but I could also apply them to fans and I could even apply them to athletes. So, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit dry, but I, I spent a lot of time on the concept of customer lifetime value. What is a customer worth over the long haul? I can use those techniques to figure out what a soccer player is worth over the long haul or what a baseball player is worth over the long haul. You know, there's this big discussion about home court advantage. And is there really a big home court advantage? Like you're looking at the NBA playoffs and it could be uh, one night one team just goes crazy and another night it's the other team, but they're both playing on opposite floors. So how does that factor in, do you think? You know, one of one of the strange things that 2020 taught us, and I'll admit to being a little bit surprised by this, is the importance to fans to this overall product. You know, one of the things that I think happened with, you know, TV, it's a well-known story that TV ratings were at first, you know, they were terrible uh, when the teams came back in the bubbles. And, and even beyond that, in general, ratings have been off about 10 to 15%. And, and there's a lot of speculation as to why that is. The you know the politics entering into sports, uh, the acceleration of the trends of people moving away from cable TV, the cord cutting. But I think a part of this has got to be that that fan energy turns out to be something very important to the sports product. That when you're watching a game from the bubble, from any bubble, or if they got cardboard stands of fans in you know a major league stadium. It just doesn't look right. It, it it sort of takes away some of the some of the, some of the spirit. Now, how that translates to, you know, how that translates to the athletes. You know, I think Vegas has always built in, you know, a three or four point advantage for home court or home field advantage. You know, do, do the players feed from the energy of the fans? I suspect so. Is that something I can quantify? You know, that, that's that's beyond the available data, let's say, at this point. Do you think fan behavior has become worse in recent years? 
than it was in the past. For example, the uh, Tour de France situation, where the, the fan held up a sign and it hit one of the riders, and that caused a kind of a ripple effect there. I suspect that that is true. I mean, the the the, the Tour de France situation is, to me, that strikes me as social media largely being the culprit, that somehow, in some ways, social media or even the some of the stuff that's happened politically over the last year has changed behavioral notions, what is acceptable. That's the, the Tour de France situation strikes me as someone trying to create content for an Instagram page. Um, and so I, I think fans have almost lost touch as they start to move to more of like a digital world perspective that they start to, they stop to think about other folks. And I think that's, I think we see that across, you know, not just sports. We see that on airplanes, right? With the increased, you know, people wanting to fight flight attendants. Where does the Falcon fan base stand? The Atlanta fans have actually all, when I first got to Atlanta about 10 years ago, I think Atlanta was really known as one of the worst sports cities. And I, you know, it kind of pains me to say that. Over time, this city has really made some investments, right? With all new arenas, uh, the ownership groups have all invested in more talent. Atlanta has moved to, let's say, average sports city status. It's not Boston or New York, but it's also not, uh, you know, South Florida teams anymore. <laughs> and that's good <laughs> news. Well, listen, Mike, this has been great. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, we'll have to get back together again when this NIL situation plays out. Maybe in a year from now, we'll uh, look at it totally differently. Anytime, Gary. Really enjoyed being here and talking to you. Our guest today has been Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. And if you want to find out more about his studies on fandom, NIL, and many other issues, you can go to his website or try his podcast, Analytics with Mike Lewis, which is available where all podcasts can be found. That's it for Sports Across the Board. I'm Gary McKillips. You've been listening to Sports Across the Board. Join us next time as we take you behind the scenes on everything from the big events and the big issues to discoveries that are changing the world of sports. Sports Across the Board is an exclusive presentation of the McKillops Group. Our producer is Sean Powers. If you like what you've heard, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.